Please note, if you're listening to this, you must be 18 years of age or older. This podcast contains adult themes and may include descriptions that listeners could find offensive. Thank you. Besides, it doesn't really matter, does it? Why should I care about appearances and labels anyway? It's what's on the inside that counts. Haruhi Fujioka. Welcome to the Kinky Nerdy Polly Podcast. This is episode 13. Please listen to this important content warning. Our discussion of Oran High School Host Club will touch upon many sensitive topics, including incest, anti-Semitism, attempted sexual assault, transphobia, and the Shota slash Lolly trope in anime. Additionally, we will be giving an additional warning for when we discuss the anti-Semitic content. Please check the show notes for the timestamps of the start and end of that section. Thank you. All right, so today we're going to be talking about Oran High School Host Club, and I'm N. And I'm G. And this is the Kinky, Nerdy, and Polly podcast. So. We're going to be talking about this anime, Oran Host Club. But why don't we start off with how we started to watch the show? I believe you're the one who introduced it to me, M. Yeah, I introduced this to you, um, and this was before I started working on it for a project. Yes, you were. You decided to use this as one of your examples in your linguistics paper, and after you were forced to watch the same episode, the same set of episodes, I think over and over and over again, ad in, ad infinitum. Yes, you were kind of burned out. I was burned out from the show. I think an anime in general. Yes. I ne- I was like, oh, I need to distance myself a little bit. But, um, yeah, so I, I introduced G to the show because it's something that I was into in middle school slash high school. It was a very popular show. Um, I was involved in anime club and we watched this show. Um, I read the manga. Now it's been a while. It's been like 10 years. So that's, you know, I don't remember everything that happens, but I did start to rewatch it with you and... With your partner X, right? And with X, yes. So, why did you like the show back in high school? I think when I was originally watching it. I think that there was something attractive about the show. Something that said, you can explore your gender, you can explore these kind of taboo subjects, and it's okay to do that. And also, it was just goofy and silly. And I mean, like, the whole show is kind of a parody of anime. It's sort of like making fun of anime. Yeah, I think it's important to note that this is a very meta series. It comments on both itself and other anime tropes frequently. And one of the reasons why it has the twins who are implied in being into a incestuous relationship is because this is a trope that is featured in other Japanese anime. Right, in the Shota... Yes. trope as well and another major thing that is doesn't need a content warning but is an, another trope that they draw on is sort of like this by shown in these pretty boys which is uh you know this host club is you know sort of like these a very particular kind of pretty yes it's very uh i'm not quite sure what the right word like very sort of metrosexual no that's use... not the right 
They don't um, really have that term. That's not really a term that people would use anymore. It's a very, a very sort of sprightly look, I think. I would say elegance, dapper. Yes. But it, I think it also sort of leans into sort of very, uh, I don't want to say skinny, but like a very sort of sleek look. Kind of clean. Yes. Mm-hmm. These are all young men who are clean shaven and going to the most expensive school in the world. Right. So I think what drew me originally was that it was kind of funny. I commented on anime and, and anime tropes. And then it also features, you know, this main character that is assigned female at birth, but presents frequently as male or masculine in the show. And now looking back, you know, after starting my transition, I can be like, wow, maybe I was attracted to this anime because I could see myself in this main character. Yes. So uh, the gender commentary I felt like was very good. Uh, yeah, so I started watching this anime because M wanted to watch it with me, and I like watching TV shows with him. I will admit this is not this is not the type of anime I think I'd watch on my own. Admittedly, I did watch it on my own just so I could talk about it for the podcast. But under normal circumstances, if it were not for M or for this podcast, I do not think I would watch. I would not pick out the show to watch on Netflix. It's a very it's a very absurdist comedy, which I like absurdist comedy, but it's very focused on parodying the sort of harem anime tropes and and other things. And it's one of those things where I feel like I would have gotten more out of the show if I'd watched more animes in the genre, if that makes sense. But just sort of watching it in isolation, there's a lot of things which are a little confusing. Why don't we go brief synopsis of the show? Alright, so a brief summary is that there's this main character, Haruhi, who I referenced, and she has to sort of pretend to be a guy in this all-male host club at her school to pay back a debt for breaking a super expensive vase. And she comes from a very poor background, so we have, like, these classist themes. And she's attending a a fancy high school on a scholarship. And her dad is raising her single-handedly after her mom had passed away. So that's some background into the general story so did you want to add to the summary at all no i think that's a pretty good summary pretty good summary as i had also mentioned like why i'm attracted to this show haruhi's gender is kind of in question and in flux at the beginning of the show she's wearing a boy's uniform and is often mistaken for a boy due to both the uniform and the short hair and she admits that she doesn't feel affected by gender and that she doesn't mind if people consider her a boy or a girl In the English dub, however, they do use she, her pronouns with her. And even though she does remark, and in the the English dub as well as the English sub, they use she, her pronouns to refer to her. But in the Japanese, she does make a commentary once about using ore, which is the very masculinized kind of pronoun. And her actual gender is kind of, it's kind of up in the air. She comes, from my watching of the show, she comes off as very gender apathetic. I think, in some ways, and you remind me of Haruhi, because you, you, you're you also very grounded, very smart, very intelligent. Oh, you don't have to flatter me. I like flattering you. 
Thank you, G. And I think to a certain extent, I mean, from what I gather from both our conversations and from what you've revealed on this podcast, you're also, I think you prefer to be seen as non-binary, but you're also okay with being seen as he, him. So you're also sort of a little apathetic to that difference. Like, you don't care. Yeah, as long as I'm on towards the masculine, for me, like, neutral masculine is cool. That's fine with me. Yeah. So that's sort of the feeling I get from Haruhio, being very sort of apathetic. And during some episodes, she does wear a dress and present as more feminine. But usually those are episodes that take place at in her home. Uh, So it really seems to be a matter of convenience for her rather than sort of a strong gender preference. Yeah, and at the same time, so, like, you would watch the show, and from what what I remember of the manga is that she's actually even more agender and genderqueer. Like, she's even more, like, apathetic. But also, I was just thinking, like, you know, she, people will say, like, oh, she identified as a girl, you know? And I'm like, yeah, she identifies as a girl the same way that I identified as a girl before I had the language to accurately describe my identity. And so she frequently is grappling with language about herself, which is something that I just thought that I would remark on. And also, like, even if she is a girl and identifies as a girl, I don't think that takes away the ability for genderqueer, agender, or genderfluid people to see themselves in her. Yeah. I think that that's very, she's a very relatable character for uh, trans and non-binary individuals. Yeah, especially the the fact that if she has to grapple with these not only the pressure of the host club, but also societal pressures at school. And also her father puts his own pressures on her to perform in certain ways. So I think it's a very relatable character for people who are genderqueer, genderfluid, thinking about transitioning, not even, or just wondering if you are fit into these identities. I think she's a very relatable character. And I will say like, the show had, like, an enormous impact on Japan because of this gender thing. Like, people really started to, in Japan at least, based on the academic readings that I've done, the show had an impact on people in Japan to explore their gender more. Okay. So it actually did have, like, an an impact. And so in some ways, this show is progressive and will also critique how maybe it's not very progressive. Yeah. So I think it's important to note that you can enjoy a work, and the work can be progressive for its time, but we can also note that there are some things which are a little problematic. Right. I think, for example, I think Harry Potter is sort of going through this right now. Of It was very progressive for its time in showcasing that there were Asian and black students at Hogwarts, but looking back on it now, it's a little weird how small their roles are. And basically, almost all the speaking roles are white people. Right. But it's still... And we could also comment on, like, the heteronormativity, and then kind of, like, the JK coming back and saying, oh, these characters are such and such LGBT... Yeah, if you if you can't write in seven books, you know, don't, don't try to right. backfill it after. Also, I don't understand the Hermione-Ron relationship, but we're, going, we're not going to cover nope, that right we, now. We can't do that right now. Nope. So, Auron Host Club was very progressive for its time, I think, and it helped... It was totally progressive. And it helped, from what I understand from what you just told me, it helped 
sort of open up the conversation about gender identity and transgender issues in Japan, which is still an ongoing issue. Absolutely. Uh, I've seen a couple articles about how they've been legislating that, and it's not been it's not been great. But there are some problematic issues. And I think the first one I want to talk about is Haruhi's father. Yeah, absolutely. So with Haruhi's father, I don't really know where to start. So Haruhi's father is often addressed as a tranny. Yes. Which is problematic language to begin with. And he seems to identify... So he's a cross-dresser. But yeah, so... So he's often referred to as a tranny both in his presence and outside of his presence and in other characters' thoughts, which is some problematic language. But he's also shown to be a supportive supportive of Haruhi. Yes. But also, it doesn't... S- and it's a little complicated because he doesn't seem to identify himself as a woman in the show, unless I'm misremembering that. He doesn't blatantly say, and I think this is the same for Haruhi, right? Neither of them comes out and says, this is my gender. Yeah. It's not, I don't think it's about that. And I think that's some of the beauty of it is like, they're relatable because they don't necessarily say this is specifically my gender and you can relate in whatever way makes sense to you. And so he is bisexual. He kind of talks about his attraction to both men and women. And when Haruhi's mom dies, he basically makes a vow saying that he can't be with a woman ever again. So he'll only be with men, which I think that in and of itself is something to unpack. But he's, you know, openly bisexual, and he works at a drag club, and he he, he refers to himself sometimes as a, a woman. Sometimes, but it seems like a majority of the time he uses he-him pronouns, which makes this a little bit more of a tricky conversation because we're not 100% certain how Harhi's father views himself, or herself, or themselves. Or themselves, yeah. We're not really sure for her dad, or herself. And I think that there's a beauty in that. Okay. In that ambiguity of of who they are. But it also makes it tricky when the way Haruhi's father, whose name I'm I'm honestly forgetting at this point, is... Ryoji Ranka Fujioka. So, Ryoji Ranka. And Ranka is his stage name. So that's what he insists, actually, on the host using to address him. So he actually prefers the host to use his stage name, his female name, mm-hmm. when he is, like, in the company of even the hosts of the club. Yeah. But he's also, his appearance is also sort of the butt of a couple of jokes. Uh, Absolutely. Which is also somewhat problematic. Absolutely, very problematic. And also his, also, Rianca? Ronka. Ronka. Ronka's friend who runs an inn... Uh, that the host club and Harhi go visit for the summer is also the butt of a couple of jokes because of their appearance and how they're not they're not able to pass themselves off as a woman. So, you know, on one hand, you have got this anime which is sort of which is talking about gender identity issues and has a main protagonist who is somewhat gender non-conforming. On the other hand, you have it normalizing this behavior, being able to make fun of transgender individuals who are not able to pass. So there's, you mentioned a little bit about the pressure that he puts on Haruhi 
to be more feminine. Yes. Yeah, and so, you know, he wants, he states that he wants Haruhi to be more feminine, but again, in the manga, there's still, there's much less emphasis on conforming to gender norms. Okay. So I think it's interesting, like, do do you think that there's a reason why this difference between the manga, which is maybe even a little bit more progressive on the gender realm, versus the anime? I mean, I think it just comes down to... Japan has a very has a very conservative culture, and I think anime gets more. While a lot of animes start off as being adaptations of mangas, they get more circulation than mangas do. So I would not be surprised if there was sort of a behind the scenes sort of pressure to be like, like censoring. let's let's not be quite as outrageous as the manga is. Right. Is there anything else you wanted to say about the? About uh, Ranka. Well, I, I'm gonna gonna have this go into our next topic, which I feel like encompasses both Ranka and Tamaki. So Tamaki is the host who is in. Who, he is the student who's in charge of the host club. Do we need to explain what a host club is? Yeah, let's explain what a host club is. Okay. So a host club, as far as I can tell, is, and M tells me this is a real thing, is a club where where men entertain women in a very sort of formal manner formal slash flirtatious manner but it's not i'm not quite sure where else to go can you help me out here yeah so actually i just pulled up the kind of background about hostess clubs and host clubs and they're very real in east asian countries um so while you wouldn't find them in high schools and of course it's in high school again that is a lot for comedic effect too a host club, which in Japanese is Hosudo Kurabu. So it's similar to a hostess club, except, you know, female customers pay for male companies. So in this show, the female students are coming to seek the company of the male students. And the male students sort of like serve them and treat them like princesses and make them feel sort of like special. So they'll like serve drinks and give them compliments. It's a little bit like... So it's in in Japanese culture, this is sort of like the modern counterpart to geisha culture. Okay. Um, especially in terms of like the hostess club, because in the, in the hostess version where the women are doing the serving, they're like lighting cigarettes and they're doing the drink service and they're doing the flirtatious conversation, even singing karaoke and things like that. And so that's so, sort of, again, the modern counterpart to the geisha culture. And then the host club, I think it's really interesting that they do a host club instead of a hostess club because now you have the men who are waiting on women. Yes. And so it's sort of like a flip-flop. So going back to Tamaki, who is the president of this host club, both Ranka and Tamaki have a strange preoccupation slash obsession with trying to keep Haruhi pure. They both get, well, I mean... The thing with Tamaki is kind of made fun of throughout the show, like that he views himself as Haruhi's father and the host club as his family. Um, He has a lot of family issues. Yes. As Em and I were discussing before we started recording for the podcast, like many anime shows, there is a sharp turn towards the dramatic and seriousness right at the end of the anime. So just to give our listeners a heads up on that. So... For example, they're they're both very upset when 
Harhi accidentally has her first kiss, though Ronka finds out much later. And also, Benny Bana was trying to get Haruhi's first kiss. There's a lot of preoccupation with this first kiss. Yes. Which was kind of weird to me. Yeah, I mean, this is where we get some maybe misogyny, or not misogyny, toxic masculinity, is maybe what I'm thinking. Uh, it's not just toxic... <sighs> It's a little bit of toxic masculinity, but I feel like the there's like this premium that's being social currency premium that's being put on quote unquote innocence. Right. And this is also a trope though, right? Like this is also a trope in anime. Yeah, and I feel like it's also maybe not to this extent, but it's also something of a trope in America and Western media. Mm-hmm. Of you know, it's it's important to have that, you know, first romantic kiss. But they sort of crank it up to 11 in the extreme protectionism that both Tamaki and Ranka have. Is there anything else you wanted to add to this? Well, is this just talking about problematic things? Or on specifically on the first kiss commentary? Either or? Not really. I mean, honestly, when I'm watching it, it sort of makes me uncomfortable. And so... <laughs> Remind me again, what is the name? Who is the name of the person that she ends up winning the dance with? That's a one-off character. I don't know. I don't remember that person's name. But it literally happens by accident. Like, Tamaki accidentally, like, pushes. Right, like, they're gonna just do, like, a cheek kiss. Yeah. Because she's going in for the... Haruhi's going in for the cheek kiss, and then Tamaki pushes... Is, is trying to stop it. Trying to stop it, but, but then... But then he slips on the banana right. peel... Because there's always a banana peel. There's always peel. a banana peel, of course. Comedy. There's always a banana peel to slip on in the show. If there's ever a moment where somebody slips, there's always a banana peel for them. <laughs> and he slips and yes. he accidentally pushes. Pushes them in so then they actually have a kiss. Yeah. And so this is kind of queer, right? Like we get this. I love this in a way because we get this male who is desiring this woman who this other woman doesn't know is a woman or doesn't know is assigned female at birth and they end up kissing and I think that makes it even better like the fact that Haruhi's kiss is with this woman because it's like a really big F you to Tamaki yeah if you had been trying so hard to try to preserve this it would have just turns out if you just let things happen <laughs> It'll not be as bad as if you try to interfere with it. I just love the subtle, the queer kind of context that they put in there. Yeah. So I'd like to go on a little bit of a tangent. Okay. What is your tangent? My tangent is communism. Oh, yes, that's right. Okay. So for our listeners, when I started watching this with G, he got very excited that this show made him hate capitalism so much. Is that what we're talking about? Yes, that's what we're going to be talking about. Yeah. So... I think M will vouch. I'm not actually that much of a leftist in my day-to-day life. But uh, this show might have made you. But this show, I feel like, could be shown to every up-and-coming communist because it really it really ignites the desire within me to to just get a Molotov cocktail and burn this academy down to the ground. <laughs> in fact, I think in one of my notes during my rewatch... I remember that you... Uh... They have the instant coffee comments. Yeah, so there's this point where... So the thing is, Haruhi is a scholarship student, 
and everybody else are these scions of rich and powerful families, not just Japanese families, but just like rich and powerful families in general. So they're constantly amazed by the things that Haruhi enjoys or partakes in. So instant coffee is one of them. And Haruhi introduces instant coffee to the host club, and the host club is just amazed at this commoner's coffee, where it doesn't even have any ground coffee beans in it. It's just powder that you mix with hot water and it becomes the rage within the host club. And And at first they, no, it's like, it's amazing because like all of the girls there who like are ready to be, you know, waited on and whatever, they're like, oh, you won't actually try that, will you? Because they're kind of nervous. They're like, we've never had commoners coffee before. And Tamaki's like, hi, Will. He's like, I'll take one for the team and I'm going to try this commoners coffee. Yeah, so... For reasons I don't quite understand, this show really makes me want to, like, start the workers' revolution. Uh, (laughs) I think, let's see if I can find this one note. Oh, so in one episode, the the twins are kind of making fun of Haruhi for talking about a vinyl pool, or a plastic pool. And it's like, you know, you're talking about an inflatable motorboat. You're not talking about a pool. But you can't have a pool that small. <laughs> and I think my... No- Here's my note. Let's drown the rich in plastic pools. <laughs> well, I support that. When, when I'm not watching the show, I don't feel like going to... You don't have the rage. But see, this is good material to convert people to leftism. I already had that in me. It was burning within me forever. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it didn't push me over that edge. You know, like the show is just like, oh, yeah. But yeah, if you, if you want to... Spark some outrage about the excesses of the rich and their inability to understand how people work in the real world. This is the show to watch. All right, my tangent's over with. I love that tangent. It's great. All right, so I did want to bring up now, so we've been talking about some problematic things. We've mentioned that there's some kind of transphobia with Harvey's father. Um, We've mentioned sort of the... I would say harassment and bullying that Haruhi sort of endures. Yes. And sort of this pressure to keep her pure, innocent, that's kind of problematic. And also some pressure from her dad to for her to be more feminine. And I would, I just want to say, since we mentioned it in our content warning, that uh, I did want to briefly talk about episode 9, which is when they bring the girls' academy. And so we're going to give a big kind of CW here, content warning, trigger warning for anti-Semitism, and that we'll, give it, a we'll good... give it a good pause, and then we'll put in the time at which you can fast forward to, so that way you can skip this discussion if you need to. Alright, so we're going to be talking about this in three, two, one. So in episode nine, and I know G has watched this more recently than I have, I had just remembered when we had originally gone through it and the host club ends up in Nazi uniforms. It's actually the Lobelia. It's the Lobelia club that's in Nazi uniforms. Yes. In the manga, it's the host club that is on the cover is in, on the cover of the chapter okay. is in the Nazi uniform. So in this one, it's the Lobella. Okay. So either way, you know, this is done for laughs. Yes. And it's not funny. No, it... I have not read the manga, but the anime kind of comes out of nowhere. It's just the Lobelia Zuka Club, 
if I'm remembering Zuko that Club, yeah. And the Oran Host Club are sort of trash-talking each other. And then just randomly, there is a scene of them, of, like, the Lobelia Club talking about how they're going to crush the Oran Host Club, and they're suddenly in brown shirt uniforms. And then there is a stylized flag in the background later on, just a couple seconds later, which is, I assume, has the Zuka Club symbol, but is stylized to look like a Nazi flag. And it is, uh, it really feels like it comes out of nowhere. Yeah, I remember when we first watched this, and your reaction to this was like, you literally gasped. Like, I heard you gasp. Because I think it was, it is so out of nowhere, and it's like, what, why the fuck is this, first of all, this is horrendous. Uh, yeah, it's, it's horrendous, I think it also points to sort of the different, the different cultural contexts that uh, Japan has with World War II, that they, that America has a, a very different cultural context with. Absolutely. But yeah, regardless, I definitely feel like this is one of those problematic things you have to point out. And I've heard that this trope is in other animes as well. Yeah, there is a surprising amount of... I'm going to go with comfortability in Japanese media to portray fascist imagery. There are definitely a couple of... I think there's one... There's one anime in particular, which I think is just based on the idea of what if Japan had become a fascist country after World War II, if Germany won the war. I'm forgetting the name of the anime. It's something like Wolf Brigade or something. Interesting. Okay, I haven't heard of it. It's not one that I actually watched because I was not particularly interested in the concept. Because it's about, it's essentially following a policeman slash soldier in this fascist future of Japan, which is not, you know, not something I particularly want to watch right now. So yeah, so if you're watching Japanese anime, just be prepared that this may be something that unexpectedly comes up. And I think now we can go back into our regular discussion. Yes, regular discussion in three, three two, two, one. All right. So actually, now that we've touched on that, can we just mention the Girls Academy out of that context. Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure, from what I remember, they are really proud lesbians. Very so, outwardly lesbian, right? So they they very much are sort of in the vein of we have a pure, more pure love with our partners and with our friends because we only have relationships with other women. And I want to ask you a question. Because it seemed rather obvious to me, but it's not ever really talked about in the anime. But Benibara, who is the head of the Zuka Club, seemed to me to be coded as a trans woman. Yes. But it's never really talked about in the anime. I don't know if you picked up on that. I did in uh, the anime as well. She is... Like, her tone... Her, yes. Her... Her register is lower than her register. Her register is lower. She's taller. She sort of has a very cut kind of jawline is what I noticed. And yet I, I really, I mean, I think she's, I think she can be re- read as either mm-hmm. a trans woman or as this one. I don't think it matters. I mean, she's part of a woman's club. She's a woman and 
I think that's the primary thing. I think okay. any more reading that we get is just from our own experience. Mm-hmm. So I think for you and me, especially because we're in the trans community, maybe we're more sensitive to that. And especially because there are other queer and queer characters and, and characters that play with gender roles and with gender in general, it kind of primes us to think about what other characters might have that experience. And so I did read her as being potentially trans and, but she, they never, again, it's very much in line with the show that they never come out and outwardly say, you know, that she's a trans woman. Mm-hmm. But I think it is very clear that the whole club is, uh, very proud of their homosexuality. Yes. The girls club. Yes. Yeah. They, I think there's a line that's saying our, our romantic relationships are more pure because they don't involve men. Right. And yes, exactly. So I'm just reading some trivia right now uh, from the fandom site. And it says, Benyo hates men because she believes them to be useless and stupid. And also, so yeah, there's the hating men thing. And then also here's uh, another thing about the female and male pronouns. We talked a little bit about Haruhi using male pronouns sometimes, like ore. But this says, although female, she refers to herself with the pronoun baku, with the pronoun baku, which is usually used by males. So I think that that's interesting, a cho- an interesting choice. So you think that there's there's some stuff we're missing just because we are listening to a either the subs or the dubs? I think that there's context that we're missing. I think, you know, she's very proud of her womanhood and she's very proud of being a lesbian and being involved with other women. And uh, she uses this male pronoun, and maybe that's just be- to, like, maybe she just sees herself as a more masculine woman, and that's totally acceptable as well. I don't think we can really get to her gender identity, though. Just like we couldn't really nail down Haruhi's gender identity or her father's gender identity, because it's never really explicitly stated. Yes, the, I do think it's a little problematic that she's kind of set up as a villain, which, given the fact that, you know, she uses this male pronoun and both of us kind of read her as being a trans woman, I think is a little uh, dicey. It can be dicey. It can definitely be problematic if that's reading. Then again, she could just be a more butcher, a more masculine lesbian. And and also trans women are allowed to be mas- masculine. I will say that too. Like, you well, know? No, I'm more thinking like the fact that the... I mean, either way you read it, either as the butch lesbian or as the trans woman, it's a little problematic that that is the person who is cast as the villain. I see what you're saying. Okay, I got. I, I see your point. Yeah, you're right. That's definitely problematic. And sort of the hero in this is like the... Oran Host Club. The Oran Host Club, who has very problematic uh, male figures in it, i.e. very much Tamaki. So you're right. Yeah, it is... A little bit upsetting that their cast is villains. That being said, they do have this hatred towards men. Yes. And I think I get a little bit of, like, a second-wave feminist vibe from them. Yeah. Where they very much... The, I think it's very much sort of a parody of second-wave yes, feminism. Yes, you're right. It's very much a parody of that. And so this is all commentary on itself. It's very interesting. Yes. There's a lot of problematic things, and yet some of the problematic things are also... Commentary. Commentary. Yes, absolutely. What else did we want to talk about oh i i wanted to bring up this article i have some really amazing academic article well we haven't brought up the twins or oh, okay so we should probably talk about those well there is a there is a note about that in this article okay 
Um, so I might reference this throughout the episode, but this article is called The Queering of Haruhi Fujioka, Cross-Dressing, Camp, and Commoner Culture in Oran High School Host Club. And it's by Tanya Darlington. And this is free to read online, so I'll post the link in the show notes. And this is a very good academic article, and specifically they go into the one episode, which, of course, it's the episode with the manager. Renge. Yes, Renge. Powerful Mota. Yes. <laughs> Man, she's a trip. And that's that episode, she really deconstru- deconstructs that episode <laughs> and yeah. looks at, like, all of the the interesting uh, tropes. I think Renge is the most meta of the characters. Yes. Because she views... She's an otaku. She's an otaku, which is a Japanese uh, nerd, essentially. Fan, yeah. Um, and she views all of them as being characters in a manga or anime. Uh, because she likes to play these visual novel romantic games. So how did... I, I will admit, I, I think I wrote a little bit about that episode in my notebook, but I didn't, I didn't write that much about how she deconstructed... Uh, the twins and honey. Yeah, I'm trying to find the parts that really stood out to me in the article. I wish that I had just copied and pasted it. Um, so forgive me to have to go back through the article. This is why I get to edit the podcast. Yeah, no, that's great because I would be a mess. Well, first, before we get into that with the twins, I'm going to uh, mention that this author talks about the queering of or on High School Host Club through the lens of camp. And camp as a genre is often seen as kind of a queer... A genre? Qu- a queer genre. Yeah. Yeah. I think the the Met Gala recently had camp as a theme. Yep. For the dresses and such. Dresses and outfits and such. And so this author says that Oran in and of itself, Oran High School Host Club, is sort of campy. But it is not strictly a queer output because it's cre- created primarily by the, like the the target audience and the goal and the creators of a lot of these like similar shows are heterosexual women, mm-hmm. which I think is commented on in the anime itself. Yes. Like a lot of these dynamics within the host club are often commented on by the the female guests who are looking for. I actually want to talk to you about this, but they they mentioned this concept called mo moe 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 yeah moe, which seems to translate to cuteness, kind of, but not really. Could you help me sort of unpack this concept a little bit? I've had people give me different definitions of what moe exactly is, and I've had one person say that it's sort of like this turn on kind of point where it's like supposed to arouse something or be emotional or be uh, cute or sexy or whatever. And I haven't really gotten to a good definition of it. But when I pull up the definition, it says from in the context of Japanese popular culture, the quality it's the quality in a fictional female character of being youthfully innocent and vulnerable in an idealized way, perceiving as eliciting females of affection or protectiveness. That doesn't seem to be a complete definition because they're off, at least in this anime, they're often using moe to describe, like, there's that character that comes later on who's like the gangster, Casanoda, I think. Mm -hmm. And, like, they describe 
his attraction to Haruhi as Moe. So that doesn't seem to quite... uh... Yeah, in a different one that I'm getting, a different definition, it says, a Japanese slang loanword that refers to feelings of strong affection, mainly towards characters, usually female. So this is the strong affection. So this is the attraction piece. Okay. Towards a female, usually, in anime, manga, video games, and is directed at the otaku market. But it has also gained usage to refer to feelings of affection toward any subject. So it seems to be like there's sort of this idea of this, not necessarily like an arousal in a specifically sexual way, but sort of like this affection or attraction to this innocence and vulnerability that someone has for someone. So the moe can come from the person itself, but it can also be that relationship, that attraction. Yeah, it seems like in the anime it's mostly... The moe, as described, is mostly other people. It, it's a little voyeuristic, yes. essentially. Like yes. Other people looking and being attracted to the attraction of two other people. Is that? Am I making sense? I think that can be an example of moe, but it's not. I don't think it's the only time. Okay. It's like when somebody says, when somebody comments on moe. From my experience, it's like if they're commenting on it, then yes, it's very voyeuristic because they're seeing it happen. Because if you're just experiencing the feelings, then you might not classify that as being moe. But somebody who's observing the attraction might comment on it and then call it moe. So it's not that that person is necessarily experiencing the moe, it's that that person is commenting on the moe. Okay. It's very confusing. Yeah, it it was a concept I kind of struggled with when I tried to look it up. But thank you for helping me try to understand I'm it. I'm trying to understand it myself, and it's it does escape me a little bit. Um, and I still, I want to get this part where she talks about these twins. For our listeners who might not be interested in actually watching this anime, the twins are Karu and Hikaru. And it is implied several times that they are in a forbidden love slash incestuous relationship. Though it is never, I think, explicitly stated. Except maybe by Renge, but that's because Renge's job is to be a meta-commentator on everything that's happening around her. They are also, in my opinion, tiny sociopaths who manipulate everybody around them. And I assume this is commenting on other sort of anime tropes. But, you know, this is not a trope that's uncommon to Western media because we have Game of Thrones (laughs) playing out right now. I'm not sure what else I can say about the twins. I'm just going to wait in silence. Sorry. She had such a good point. I really wanted to bring it up. I see her talking about, like, the episode with the manager, and she comments briefly on how they're portrayed in that episode. She says, like, Hikaru and Kaoru, who specialize in an incestuous twin act, etc. But she had... And then she comments on... Honey Senpai, the adorable, sweet-loving, bunny-hugging, lowly Shota character. I can't really find the commentary that she was going to say, but I I will pull on some of the things that she mentions in her article. So, the twins are portrayed as being incestuous. Sociopathic. Uh, Yes, sociopathic. They're very romantic towards each other, and there's a lot of face-touching. A lot of face touching. I I just love that face touching. I know you like that face touching. I do. I love the touching of the face. And, like, one of them will just, like, tilt the other one's chin up. And it's very, it's just, like, very hot, right? Like, ah, 
face touching. But so they're portrayed as as be- being very romantically. Why does that smile on your face? <laughs> I don't know. It just it makes me happy that you like face touching so much. It's really beautiful. I'm looking at a picture of them right now. The twins. They're also gingers. Yes, yes, they are. And I think that obviously this is appealing to a certain audience, just like Honey Senpai. You know, these are commenting on a certain type of audience that would be attracted to these tropes. Yes, I mean, the whole point of having these characters in this anime is that they are commenting and parodying other tropes within anime slash manga in Japan. These characters aren't happening in isolation or in a vacuum. They are purposely put here to comment. Right, so even though it is like a little bit weird to be like, oh, there's these twins and they're incestuous with each other and there's this boy who's 17 but looks like he's 12 and he has this guardian protector. This reminds me of a YouTube video I saw once by by somebody who used to be on Vine a lot. So he still does a lot of these like short 30-second videos where... He's trying to guess, he's, he's like a voice actor, so he'll do like the voices of like anime characters. And it's like, you know, it's like, oh, I, I'm chasing down the person who murdered my father. I'm a veteran of this war. And, you know, the guy's like, I guess that guy is like 25, 30. It's like, I'm 17. <laughs> and then he'll go into the next one. And it's like, I've, I can't stand the thought of all of so much death. I've killed so many people in the millions and the and th- the thousands and millions, and it's like I maybe twenty two, <laughs> and then it's like I'm only sixteen, <laughs> and then he does like the bright trippy voice, <laughs> and it's like oh you know you know I'm so and so, and you know I'm so happy, <laughs> and it's like well you know that. You know, this kid's got to be like, what, 9 or 12? And it's like, I'm 9,000 years old! <laughs> so it's definitely a trope in anime of yeah. having the youngest looking character being the... Like the oldest. The oldest person in the room. Yeah. So the author of this article uh, that I had mentioned earlier, she does a commentary on the episode, which is the manageress invades. And so it's uh, talking about Renge, who is this otaku girl. She comes in and... Uh, she tries to recast the hosts in this amateur show, and so it gets very amateur. meta. She's still able to, like, hire her own film crew. Yeah, she has her own film crew. And so so she takes the twins, who are normally, like, incestuous, and she they are reconfigured to be basketball players who close themselves off. Then there's Honey Senpai and his kind of, like, guard? How... Uh, protector best friend slash servant best friend slash servant slash bodyguard and of course honey is the one who looks and acts like an elementary school despite being one of the oldest characters yeah he's 18 year old he's uh, a karate master and so the the manager hank uh, not Renge, only is he a karate master he is such a good karate master that he is classified as a weapon of mass destruction <laughs> forgot about that and also, he beat up his father, who is considered to be the best, the best, yep. the best karate person in the world. So he, uh, Renge, recasts him as a cute face with a vicious fiend inside. Um, and Honey actually hates this idea, and he's really upset, and he cries during the record, the filming. Honey's friend Takashi, 
who is the strong, silent, devoted type. I thought his name was Mori. Yeah, that's his last name abbreviated. Mori, Mori Nozuka Takashi. So okay. Mori, yeah. He becomes Honey's maltreated henchman. Did I say Haruhi before? Haruhi's devoted friend? No. Mori, who is Honey's friend. Yes. Yeah, he becomes this maltreated henchman. And then, uh, of course, our main character, Haruhi, who is universally adored in the show, now gets recast as the victim of bullying. And what's interesting that this author comments on is that they've taken these already, they're already ridiculous roles to begin with in the actual show. And now they're recast in even more bizarre roles. And by doing that, it effectively minimizes the subversiveness of their original roles by making them actually seem normal. Because we have this huge contrast between their typical character that we're used to in these tropes, and then now we're seeing them in these horrendous roles, very bizarre roles, and now we're like, wait, go back to how they were before. I don't like this. I don't want Haruki to be the victim of bullying. I don't want Honey to be a mean, evil person with a maltreated henchman. So, I, I kind of understand where the author is coming from, but I also feel like that episode is all about making the subtext the text. I mean, Honey is manipulative, with a somewhat sinister agenda of being viewed as cute all the time, no matter the cost. Haruhi is bullied. Yes, and, of course. And the twins have shut themselves off from the rest of the world. And are being really, disinfatuated with themselves, I know. And it's only really that Haruhi is able to sort of bring... They kind of started the process before Haruhi came along. But it's, only, it's really Haruhi that sort of brings them into being more social with everybody else in the world. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Like, yes, the text, the, the subtext is the text. And I yet I still agree with the author that there's this sort of, like, subversiveness of that we're minimizing the subversiveness of the original roles because the original roles are also challenging norms that's what i think she's saying the author she's like these roles challenge norms now we're going to be very bizarre and we're going to minimize the subversiveness of these other roles and so i can i can i can see what you're saying about the the subtext being the text in this episode like this yes those are all traits that are associated with those characters with those characters and at the same time, it pulls away from the original subversiveness of the show. The queering of the show. Okay. I think is... I mean, again, this is written in the context of, like, camp. So then the author goes on to say that there's another layer of complexity. So we have sort of, like, the base layer. Now they're being recast as these characters, so they have these roles. And there's another layer uh, added. Okay, she says... I'm trying to, like... I was trying to paraphrase this, but maybe I should just read it. Um, just read it. It's a podcast. So, Oron adds another layer of complexity when Renge decides uh, to film the hosts in their new roles, prompting Kyoya to break her camera and confiscate the film, eradicating all traces of the film of the hosts in their Dojinzi uh, guises. Those Dojinzi is the amateur film. And initially, this seems to be a nod toward the need for a single defining master narrative until Kyoya edits the tape and begins to make a tidy profit, uh, selling it through the host club. So in this instance, Kyoya, who is often referred to as the evil manager or the demon lord of the host club, seems to play the role of the mainstream authorities who are threatened but not only by not only the subversive content, 
but also the alternative economy represented by amateur manga. What do you think about that? I mean, she said it way better than I could have said it, because I was, like, trying to paraphrase it. Well, I didn't realize there was an amateur manga market. Yes. Which I guess makes sense, since now people can just publish ebooks on Amazon whenever they want. But yeah, I mean, this... I don't think this is a unknown quality either in Japanese society or in American society. We often profit off oppressed minorities. Rock and roll, you know, started off as a African American musical style, and then Elvis came along, and now it's Amer- <laughs> and now it's popular. <laughs> so, you know, I, this concept of sort of the of the society both oppressing and profiting, and profiting off of it, right? Off of it is not a surprising concept to me. Right. I did not quite pick up on that layer, right, of interpretation in that manager episode, right? Which is why I found this article very interesting. And so she continues to say that the show has established incestuousness, cross-dressing, and gay identities as normative narratives to be played rather than to be questioned, and so. That this is all done, she says, like, basically, like much of good camp, Oran's ridicule is so couched in a layer of humor and over-the-top silliness that it e- easily slips under the radar. Which I think is what's happening to you right now. So I see you being like, wait, I didn't think about that, I didn't see that. And these are all things that I think my first pass I was considering because I was viewing it through the lens of camp, maybe. Okay. I, I guess I had never really considered, I've always thought of camp as being more of a as an aesthetic style and less as a genre. So I, I guess I hadn't really viewed Oran through the lens of camp. So yeah, I, I don't know. I have to think about some more. Maybe the show is deeper than I gave it credit for. It definitely is. Um, and again, I uh, you can read this article too, um, but I'll post it with our show notes. I just think it's very interesting. And, you know, she makes this point that while Oran seems innocuous and often even someone condescending toward both fan culture and cross-dressing, as we've mentioned, problematic things, its engagement with these fundamentally disruptive traditions suggests a subtle undermining of Japanese patriarchal and heteronormative traditions. Yeah, I mean, I'll give I'll give Oran that. Like the fact that I even engaged with these topics is progressive. It reminds me a little bit of Dune. So. Dune by Frank Herbert, one of my favorite science fiction books of all time, was quite progressive for its time for that it actually portrayed a future slash fictional version of an Arabic culture or Arabesque culture. Arabic? Arabesque? Not quite sure what the right word is there. Arabic? Arabic? Okay. Are you talking about like culture? Yeah. Cause it's not, it's not like an explicit, I mean, it's, it's based off Arabic culture, but it's not Arabic culture. So Arabian influenced? Yeah, okay. Arabian influenced. So the fact that, you know, Frank Herbert even showcased a future a futuristic Arabian influenced culture was very progressive for its time, you know. Of you know, during that time period it was just, you know, sort of showcasing what people normally expect of future cultures, which was, you know, sort of meritocracies or pulpy or the Pulp Fiction stereotypes or evil emperors. But, you know, looking back at Dune now, you know, the narrative of Dune is there is this white guy who goes to this planet filled with space Arabs and is a better space Arab than all the other space Arabs. So the space Arabs make him their king. 
And that's that's got some that's some problematic got some problematic yeah. issues there. Yeah. But you know, I'll I'm gonna give Dune the credit where it's due of like, yeah, it, it actually engaged with these issues at the time. Absolutely. Do you mind I I love your Dune side tangent, but can I bring it back to camp for a second? Yes. Just because I want to define some things for our audience. Um, so you were talking about like how you didn't know, like camp is partially aesthetics, which is true. And so there's also other things in camp. So this author references Babushio, who says that queer camp humor consists primarily of, quote, bitter wit, a cutting irony based on the knowledge that society's joke is on you, and a comic downplaying the resultant frustration and fear. In this case, the paretic qualities of manga are distinct. The humor of Dojinshi is overtly playful and silly, often with an emphasis on an over-the-top eroticism and gender play. Yet both use their marginality to destabilize the mainstream by pointing out its incongruities. And then she also quotes Mark Booth, who says to be camp is to present oneself as being committed to the marginal with a commitment greater than the marginal merits. And Andrew Ross, who defines camp as persistently subordinate in relation to the dominant culture. Taboo, subversive. These are all things that I think we could agree Oran does well. Yes. Um, So this view of camp, uh, this is the author, and she says, this view of camp encompasses the queer association with camp as well as some of the more confusing factors such as camp's revelry in bad taste and blatant cheap consumerism. It also re-emphasizes the element of self-parody already existent in camp and demonstrates how that element can be used to make an essentially subversive genre more palatable to the public. So, and she argues that an excellent example of this is Oran High School Host Club. And I think that's basically my feelings about it. All right. I think I viewed this through the lens of camp, which is why maybe we got a little bit of a different interpretation on it. And that could just be because I've, I've had that way of thinking for a while. Like I've taken women's studies classes and we've talked a lot about camp and or in LGBT gender studies classes and talking about camp and queering things. And that's not to say that there aren't problematic. In fact, I think it almost owns a lot of its problematic. I mean, a lot of the problematic aspects are put there intentionally to comment on other right. tropes. Right. To, to comment on those tropes. Right. And of course, not everything that is problematic in the show is a green light. And this also doesn't say that this is like the best example of queer camp in Japan. I think it is progress. It is that step. Just like you were saying, like, Dune was a big step. It's like, wow, you're showcasing this culture, but yet there are problems. And so we need to be critical as time goes on. Yeah. I think I said all I wanted to say. I know. And I'm so getting over, trying to get over how you say encompass. Did I say encompass during this episode? Yes, you just did. Did I say it in a different During time? that quote. During that quote? Really? Yes. yes. Oh, darn it. Uh, I'm, I'm so bizarre. Uh, I, I love you, Em, but... The way you say encompass just gets me every single time. Uh, like they say, encompass, encompass. <laughs> but as we as we go to the end of our episode, I want to give a shout out to Jerry, who sent us some feedback uh, via email. Uh, I hope you had a good time at the conference that you went to. And uh, we're going to do a little bit of a call to action. So please share with your friends, share our podcast with people. If you're enjoying this, please spread the word. 
We're on Twitter at KMP Podcast. We're on Tumblr at KMP Podcast. And also, if you would like to tip us, because we are completely running this by ourselves with no support, uh, there is a link at the bottom of the show notes to tip us, so that would be great. Uh, yes, there is a link at the bottom of every show notes, so it doesn't matter what episode you're listening to. So with that, this is G. This is M. Don't be afraid to love how you love. Love what you love. And love who you love. If you'd like to get in touch with either M or myself, you can tweet us at KMP Podcast. You can find us at kmppodcast.tumblr.com. Or you can email us at kinky.nerdy.poly at gmail.com. Do you think my assessment of you as Gina slash Diaz is good? Well, I like the Gina. I like the Diaz part. <laughs> I'm still not hundred percent certain how to feel about the Gina part. Okay. Because I feel like Gina's really out there. She is, and it gets even weirder in season eight. This new season. Yeah. Have you seen any of it? I'm fully caught up now. Oh, you're fully caught up now. Yeah. Oh, so you have seen Gina making. YouTube videos. Yes. Yeah. See, like, I imagine you being able to do that. <laughs> Make YouTube videos? And become famous for it and replace Jesus with Zundar the Earth Child. <laughs> uh, yeah, I could imagine becoming the prophet of my own religion. Sorry, vessel for my own religion. Yes. Very important in the terminology. Yeah, it is important. Gotta operationalize our religious terms. You do. It's important. You know, you were the you were the one saying that you were afraid I was gonna make a cult. Yeah. But like you're the one with the actual like names and terminologies and like you're really setting yourself up. Talking about a website. So I don't know, man. A little I'm a little worried. You're a little worried? Yeah. I thought you wanted to embrace Zundar. I was interested in that until I realized that I, Are you afraid I'm going to go mad with power? Yes. But I can't. And do you know why? Sundar. Sundar's with me always. <laughs>